Hey, Al McCoy here, and you are listening to the Solar Panel, the Phoenix Sun Show. Hello and welcome everybody to another edition of the Sun Solar Panel on YouTube Live and wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Espo. Ahoy hoy. I'm Dave King. How's it going, everyone? And excited to welcome in our very special guest today. He is a salary cap expert. He's a writer for Yahoo, a real GM, and a part of the front office show. He is Keith Smith. Keith, thank you so much for taking time out of your Saturday to join us here on the Solar Panel. I appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me. Dave, why don't you let the listeners know what we're talking about on today's show? Absolutely. All right. So thank you for coming on, Keith. Look, it's the off season. Is is the off season? We uh, the Suns could look forty percent different. You know, the um, only you know eight or nine guys on the roster are guaranteed for next year, uh, and the Suns might make some big trades. Last off season, they turned over most of the roster too, and used their cap space very creatively. In in retrospect, um, so uh, we're bringing on Keith Smith. Um, he is a salary cap guru. If you look him up at Keith Smith NBA on Twitter, at, he pinned at the top of his Twitter feed. You've got all the salary cap information you need at all for the NBA. So we're going to talk. We're going to have Keith help us talk through what the Suns' options are for the off season. It's really hard to get everything straight when you're just a fan and you don't do this all the time to know what you know what space the Suns have. We're going to rank um, that. We're also going to look at how many teams have cap space. We're going to rank the destinations uh, for free agents who might be looking for big money. And uh, we're going to talk about who the Suns should target. And then uh, we're really just going to, uh, you know, just see what Keith thinks about the Suns offseason and as, as a team going into next year. Oh, Keith, let's hop right into it. I need to know how much time does it take to keep this uh, uh, this salary cap sheet that you have uh, up to date? Uh, and, and and I know it's a passion project for you. So how much time actually goes into this? Because this document uh, is, is truly impressive. Uh, and if uh, for the listeners and the viewers, if you haven't seen it, Go take a look at this thing. Uh, I know spreadsheets usually aren't sexy, but this thing is a, is a beauty. So uh, it did too much time, I, I think is um, the, the appropriate <laughs> answer there. Uh, no, it, it, it takes a good amount of time to, to get it all set up. Uh, busiest times are right around the draft when we're adding in, you know, 60 new players plus all the undrafted players and those things. And then the off season and then the trade deadline. No, those are my three kind of 10 pole moments where that, that keeps me hopping uh, pr- pretty much when it's in season and it's one offs, like, uh, you know, 10 day contracts and things like that. Those are pretty easy to, to update. But when, when there's a lot happening all at once, it, it can take a little while to get it put together, but, but you, you hit the nail on the head. It's a passion project and I love it. Well, looking looking at at it, can you kind of walk fans through that are, that are listening or watching uh, as we record this? How much cap space uh, is it possible for the Suns to have? Because I know you have a range uh, in the spreadsheet that kind of shows uh, the the high end and the low end, and what you realistically think uh, they'll likely have. 
Yeah, so when, with the Suns, um, they can get to about $22 million, a little bit over that in cap space. That's not an exactly realistic number because they're not going to let every single player go that they could and just have the guaranteed salaries on the book. They're not going to renounce their draft pick uh, in the upcoming draft, so that's not going to happen. So then what I do is I take kind of the max space and I work from from there into what what is a more realistic number and I call that projected space. So I project the Suns right now to have uh, just shy of 18 million in space. So about 17.8 million. Um, I've gone back and forth on that um, as I know I'm sure they are um, in uh, reality <laughs> on you know what, what do you do with a guy like Cameron Payne? Right? Do do you pick up his team option? Do you let him go? Um, Javon Carter, do you you know give him a qualifying offer? Do you not? Aaron Baines, do you keep him? The Suns fall in what I call the swing category. They could just as easily stay over the cap and be function as an over the cap team as they could be a team that has um, cap space. So yeah, explain that to us. Explain how that works. Yeah. So so going into it, what a lot of people do is they just you know. You can find various, you know, salary sheets, you know, all over the internet. Um, and, you know, I, I hope you use mine. But if you like one of the others, that's okay, too. I just, you know, encourage you to use one that's accurate. Um, Eric Pincus. Really, 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 tapping. Really accurate. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yes, yes. Be, <laughs> yeah, be responsible with it. Um, <laughs> that's a good way to put it. Um, yeah. But what I what – I, encourage people not to do though is just add up the guaranteed salaries and then say well that's how much space we have because that's not how it works um you have these things for your free agents called cap holds which are cap holds are designed so that right we all know the idea of the um bird uh, rights. I think most mm-hmm. people get that, that you can go over the cap to re-sign your own free agent and those kind of things. But what they do is they put a cap hold on those players so that you can't then turn around and you know spend a bunch of money, then re-sign the guy later. So the cap hold is a placeholder. Um, for It used to be for the idea behind it is a reasonable estimation of what that player may make on his next salary. So that's not, not exactly super accurate because, you know, like, like a guy like Aaron Baines may not make 10 million, but he has a $10 million cap hold um, for the Suns this coming off season. So but what is that? Uh, so a cap hold. Yeah. So what does that mean going into the off season? There's no, for Aaron Baines, let's use him as an right. example. Sure. Yeah. Um, so he uh, is not under contract for the 2020-2021 season. He's an unrestricted free agent, which means he can sign with any team he wants, yep. including the Suns. The Suns could sign him the same way that other teams can. The advantage that the Suns have is that he is the team they just he just they are the team he just finished the season with, and they have because of the way the cap works, they have his bird rights. Yep. And there's something called a cap hold, though, because you don't get free bird rights. If you could just uh, sign, use all the space of the guy's last contract, which in Aaron Baines's case is five million dollars, sign another dude for five million dollars, and then also sign Aaron Baines. Well, that's kind of that's not the point of, yeah. of the way the cap is supposed to work. So you get a cap hold, which is that in this case, in Aaron Baines's case, based on years of service and prior contract and all that stuff. I don't know if years of service is a factor, but prior contract is and, and, and stuff. He's got a $10 million cap hold, which means if the Suns want the right to go over the cap to re-sign him, they have to keep $10 million on hold in the offseason, right? 
Yeah, I, I don't know what you needed me on the show for, man. You got it down. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> no. It's it's just hard for people. It's it's good to yeah. hear multiple uh, ways to do it. It's just yep. you can't you can't fill in your expired salaries and then bring right. back your good guys that that did expire. That's the point of that. Exactly, because otherwise, let's look at the Lakers this offseason, right? They've got a million free agents. What they would do is they'd go out and sign all these really good good players. Then they'd re-sign guys like Anthony Davis and Rajon Rondo maybe and, you know, just fill out the roster that way. And then they'd have, you know, the most dominant team in the league by far. So so that, right. that that's why you don't do those kind of things. So And that's what the CBA and the cap holds and the cap space process is allowed. And let's use Miami for an example. So there is – I'm looking at your sheet. Yep. And uh, your cap sheet. And you're saying projected space is a little more than the Suns. And we'll talk about all the teams with projected space here in a minute. But the projected space for Miami is about $22 million. But what do they have to do to get $22 million? Who do they have to give up? Yeah, they would have to renounce their rights on basically all of their free agents to get to that point. And, and they are, again, like the Suns, they are a swing team. They could just as easily stay over the cap and re-sign guys like Goran Dragic, Jay Crowder. But what, what I'm kind of projecting there is the Suns probably, or no, excuse me, the Heat go into the offseason and they look at it and say, all right, well, you know, what I want to give an idea of is this is what they could do. And if there is somebody who pops free for $20 million who makes a ton of sense for them, they could very easily say, all right, we're going to, we're going to make that happen uh, this off season. We're going to go do it. Um, but what I don't think they're going to do is I think they are going to, I think they're going to kind of keep their options open, see what's out there for them this summer. I'm going to say this summer a bunch of times, just because that's ingrained in me. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I've heard that on all the podcasts this yeah, summer. I'm like, what are we, Australia? Right. I know it's so brutal. Um, but this off season, I will try to say this off season if I remember, but if I say this summer, no, I mean, this off you know, <laughs> um, so this off season, what they're going to do, I, my expectation is they're going to keep their options open because it's not a great free agent class there. There's really not, you know, those, um, truly impact free agents that are expected to change teams. So I think what the, the heat will do is they will go into the off season, keeping their options open. Then they'll likely largely run it back with the same guys. So resign Goran Dragic, they'll resign Jay Crowder. I think they're going to resign those guys though, to really huge one year contracts. Probably mm -hmm. Dragic may get 20 plus million this off season, which sounds crazy, but I'll explain why is because then in the summer of 2021, which should be summer, um, they will then be able to renounce him again because he's only going to be on a one-year deal. They'll free up all kinds of space to go star chasing, you know, Giannis, uh, you know, Kawhi, Paul George, whoever becomes free agents. They'll be able to go chase those guys. And then what they can do is with whatever cap space they have left or their exceptions, they can re-sign Dragic. And how you look at it is – this then becomes a pseudo two, three, four year deal where he got paid a huge amount in for the 2021 season. And then the additional seasons after that, he got paid less, but you're kind of taking care of him up front. You're, you're, you're giving him a whole bunch. I think, <clears throat> kind of you know, front. That's the way of now let's really, I'm sorry, Greg, go ahead. No, uh, I was just going to say, so if we, if we shift to the Suns and we look at, at that mentality, 
I tend to be in favor of trying to value hunt this off season rather than uh, I think one year deals are going to be uh, are going to be commonplace around the league because mm-hmm. people are going to be looking at, at the stars next summer and with the economic questions about the game uh, th- there's not going to be a lot of people wanting to commit this this off season to to longer term deals but for me I think that's where the Suns can find. I can find opportunity because the market's going to be soft this year for free agents. I don't think the Suns realistically will be players in going after a Kawhi or Giannis or big game hunting next off season. So for me, I, I think it looks like you could, you could find value this off season, but in your estimation, Keith, do you think the Suns go that Miami route, look at trying to do one-year deals to put themselves in flexibility for next summer? Or do you think there's there's some other play here to spend that likely $18 million, uh, that they're going to have available to them? Yeah, I think I think if we continue to use the Heat as the comp here, because I think those they're the two swing teams. The the other four teams I project will definitely have cap space. But the Heat and Suns are in a similar spot as far as cap space goes the heats free agents though are veterans who have been around for a long time so a guy like goran dragic a one-year deal that's probably the territory he's heading into anyway um a guy like jay crowder that he probably would get a longer deal than that but but he would he would likely you know do that to stay with miami knowing they're going to take care of him on the back end for the Suns, their own free agents are younger players with the exception of Aaron Baines. Baines is the only guy who really kind of falls into that. A one-year deal might make sense for him camp, but a guy like Dario Saric, uh, Javon Carter, I think those guys are guys who are there. They've still got many years left in the NBA. So I think for them to take a one-year deal doesn't necessarily make sense. And they're also not guys who are going to be ever approaching, you know, Twenty million dollars a season. I think they're more in the line of if they could get a uh, four-year deal versus worth forty million dollars. Of course, you know for Javon Carter, of course he takes that. He's been a minimum salary guy. But I think Dario Sarge could take you know something in that four sixty range or something like that, where it's you know averages out to about fifteen million a year or something like that. Um, and that that's why I think it's it's. Um, Similar that they're swing teams, but they're just in very different situations because of who their own free agents are. So I think that that's what makes a difference. I, I think um, Baines can be, though, he's a guy you could look at saying, you know, hey, we, we want to bring you back. Um, but because, right, Baines is not going to get $10 million a season, right? I think, I think we all know that. So I On think a long-term if, deal. Yeah, correct. Um, so you could do that and say, hey, we're going to give them a little bit of an overpay. This year, similar to what I said the Mm -hmm. Heat would do with Dragic. Mm -hmm. Um, Or what you could do with Aaron Baines is you could say, you know, we're going to renounce you. We'll use up our space. Then we'll bring you back on a deal that's similar to the one you're on now um, where you get, you know, four or five million dollars a year. And we'll do that for a couple of years. Maybe it's another two year deal with a player option or something like that, like what he was on previous. Um, And I think that's where it depends. Now you run the risk with Baines. Does Baines look at it and say, Eh, I could do that, or I could go right to the Lakers and be, you know, uh, you know, in the mix to play a lot there for similar money, you know, and be on a mm-hmm. title contender. I, I could. Um, there, there's a lot of people I know for the team I cover closely, the Celtics, that are like, get, get that guy back here. You know, they they would love to have him back. Um, so I think it just kind of becomes a, it's just a 
it's a decision point for him at that point of, you know, where does he view the Suns in the um, terms of contention and getting to the playoffs versus what kind of money can he get elsewhere and those kind of things. Let's talk about, let's talk a little bit about uh, strategy here. So as far as players are concerned, we're talking about a, probably a flat cap. I don't think, do you think uh, the salary cap is going to go down because of the revenues, or do you think they're going to agree to just keep it flat? Yeah, the, if they use the the um, formula that creates the salary cap, it'll bring the salary cap in around eighty two million or so. Yeah. That's not going to happen. <laughs> like, that's, the current that's, salary cap is one oh nine. One oh nine. Yeah, just a little touch the touch over, um, and that's a mess to lower it that much for everybody, for teams, for players. It's just right. a disaster. So what seems to be the prevailing thinking around the NBA, and it's where I'm I'm at as well. And this is through many conversations with teams, with the league, with agents. Um, what everybody's projecting is they make the cap flat. They keep the cap number where it was. So right around that 109 number. The luxury tax number, though, instead of being at this year's about 132 or so, they'll let that bump up to about the 139 it was projected at. Why? Because what, what that does is teams that weren't necessarily prepared to be luxury tax teams would be luxury tax teams at 132. Um, they would be over. And what they're trying to do is not penalize those teams that, that you know, hey, they had good plans. Okay, because they had they expected it Correct. to be at the 139. Yeah, yeah they were most planning for the 139, the higher number on the luxury tax. Yeah, and you hit uh, on it there perfectly with the multi-year planning because that's how you build a team. You don't build yeah. a team today. You know, occasionally you do if you're like, hey, we've got, we're two oh, pieces away from making a title run and our team's breaking up anyway. You go all in and you push all the chips to the center of the table and you do your thing. But for most teams, it's, you know, all right, here's what we're doing over the next three, four, five years. Here's how we're planning on our team. And so what the NBA is going to be conscious of is we don't, they don't want to penalize those teams for, um, for being, um, uh, in the tax sure. when they weren't preparing for that. So that seems to be where we're, where we're headed is 109 million flat cap with the tax seeing a slight bump up. Okay. So with the 109 million as an expected cap, you've got players um, who are becoming free agents over 200 players will be uh, likely a free agent. A, do you think, okay. Uh, and sorry. So you've got, you've got the 109 <laughs> cap this year. Um, flat cap then you've got the cap likely in the next year or two years going way up uh, back to where it should have been when revenues recover right so do you think players are going to be offered less money this fall and and more money in a year or next summer or do you think it's two years worth of lower money being offered players I think you're going to see by circumstance, there's only, as you, you mentioned, there's only about, I only project six teams to have cap space uh, this summer and the heat and the suns are question marks, right? Maybe they don't even go that route. So there may only be four teams with cap space. All four of those teams are, are bad, you know, bad to, you know, terrible. Um, so they they may not be major players um, for free agents. And then as you, you know, if you continue to look a little deeper into it, the other piece is you can get into a um, uh, position where from the player side, it is what's best for me. Do I want to lock in right now? 
or do I want to try to time this up so that I can time it up so that as things get better, things get better for me because max contracts and the like are tied to the salary cap. If you're a guy who knows I'm only probably getting the uh, mid-level exception, um, the mid-level exception rises and falls with the salary cap. So, so you may see you guys tie that. Generally, though, the line of thinking with that is the only players that hold off on signing long-term deals are guys who are max players and will continue to be max players. So Anthony Davis, right? We all know he's going to opt out of his contract with the Lakers. He's going to resign with the Lakers. The question is, for how long? Is he going to lock in for the full four or five years that he can? Or is he going to lock lock in for only a year, roll it over again, and then get back on the market? Um, The reason Anthony Davis can do that is because Anthony Davis is – can feel comfortable, barring disaster, he stays a max player over the next couple of years. Um, A guy like a mid-range free agent like that's a veteran, like a Paul Millsap, he probably looks at it and says, well, I'm not getting another max deal. That's not coming my way. So for him, I think it becomes, all right, what's my destination? Where do I want to be? Who do I want to play for? Are they a contender? You know, I can lock in for three years and know I feel pretty good, you know, with this team, you know, three years starting at, you know, seven, eight million a year or whatever it is and feel good about that. So those those are kind of the, the games that get played on the player's side. And then clearly the minimum salary guys, they're they're minimum salary guys. So those are generally only going to be a year or two year long deals anyway. Well, let's talk about so, a couple. With, of, oh, go ahead, Greg. Well, I just want to go, Keith, with that thinking then. Uh, you're looking at the Suns and and you go, okay, they're one of – if they have the cap space, if they clear it, they're sitting with $18 million. They They just came off of an 8-0 bubble run, which gave them a large amount of buzz around the league. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have a young roster with with a, a star in Devin Booker and a potential star in DeAndre Ayton. I feel like we're looking at a – almost a perfect storm for them to be players in this market and look at this and land some guys at potentially slightly under market deals just because not a lot of cap not a lot of teams with cap space cap staying flat and and it's been such a a weird year do you do you think that that's the smart way to go if you're james jones in, in trying to find that value this year where other teams uh, may may because of cap space not be able to be players in this or may just be thinking next year's the year for them to make a move yeah Espo, you're you're right you're right where i'm thinking um for a team like the suns this is part of why i project them to have to go the cap space route because what i think makes a lot of sense for them is let's use a guy like paul Millsap for example if they go the cap space route, they could bring in Paul Millsap and plug him in as, you know, maybe the starting four or, you know, backup four or five, you know, however you want to look at him. He's a good defensive minded veteran. He showed in throughout the course of this season in the playoffs that he can really still defend. I think he would bring a lot to, to that team, but there are a bunch of guys like him that are on the market this summer who are, they're not, yes, the top end talent is very in. But there are a bunch of good, solid veteran free agents. And I think for the Suns, who I think more than anything, they need to build up their depth with good quality guys. I think they could come away from this offseason with, you know, three, 
three veterans who make a lot of sense for them if they go the cap space route, who can really come in and fill rotation spots. And that could be the difference between kind of capitalizing on, on that eight no bubble run and really launching yourself truly into playoff contention mm-hmm. next year or kind of sticking around where you've been in a really deep, tough, difficult Western conference. And that's yeah. why I think they're going to go the cap space route. Yeah. Would you do like uh, on that line of thinking, would you do one year deals yes. uh, with veterans? One or two. What you would do? Yeah. What, what I, what I think is probably most likely. So if, you know, I, I'm, kind of beating a dead horse here with Paul Millsap, but but if you use him as the example, I think what you look at with a guy like him is is you do a um a one year deal where it becomes a um a, a how do I put this? You you do like a one plus one with him or maybe a, a what a, what we call a one minus one, which is a one year deal with a team option after it. That way that would be the ideal. Give him a bunch of money this year, team option it next year. And then that kind of gives you um, the position where you can say, all right, you know, it didn't really work out or, you know, what we're getting a sense we can be in the mix for a better guy next year, younger guy aligns with our timeline a little bit better or whatever the case is. And you give yourself that flexibility. Flexibility is going to be a word I'm going to hammer on um, in everything I write uh, this year because yeah. everybody's kind of conserving space as they get into looking at the summer of 2021. So roughly, you know, a year from now after this upcoming season, because so many good free agents um, and they're I'm projecting at least half the league right now to have cap space um, and many of them with with max or some with even double max space. Well, let's talk about that for just a little bit, though. So. You've got about half the league with good cap space next next off season, and better free agents, uh, but half the league with good cap space. This year, it's possible that the Suns will be the best possible best team with eighteen plus million in available cap space. Whereas next summer, the Suns might be the fifteenth best team yeah. with available cap space. So if you're if you're the Suns and you're looking at uh, the two top guys who I consider probably the two top guys on the market this offseason would be Fred Van Bleet and Christian Wood. If you're let's do it from the Suns point of view right now. If you're Fred Van if you're the Suns, would you make a um, starting at 18, averaging 20 over the course of the contract? Would you would you try to go after a Fred Van Bleet? for a long-term deal, even though you've got the, cause the rest of the sun's roster is pretty flexible, but then they'd be locking in that one long contract next to Devin Booker. Would you go after Fred? Um, it depends on what you think he is. If you think he is a combo guard who is, you know, not really a point guard, not really a shooting guard, I would probably pass on him because you already have a point guard and you already have a shooting guard. Um, and I don't, I don't love the idea for the Suns where they're at right now, investing that heavily into a guy who really projects then as a bench player, right? It just doesn't make sense to me. Now, if you believe he can hold down the point guard spot and kind of hit him and Ricky Rubio become kind of ships passing in the night of, you know, Rubio as he kind of ages out and, and slides down into a backup role, or he becomes a tradable piece himself to a team that needs a point guard, then sure. If you think Fred Van 
Van Vliet can be a starting point guard in the NBA and really can play on the ball, yes, then then I am you know fully there. Um, if if that is your belief, if your belief is uh, he's best when he has another point guard beside him, like he had with Kyle Lowry, then I'd probably pass because I, I think you can spend that money better elsewhere. Okay, um, now let's go with some size and a little bit more youth in Christian Wood. So as the Suns, it's, it, let's assume you think Christian Wood can play in the same lineup with DeAndre Aiden. Let's put that one aside for the moment. Let's just make the assumption the Suns believe this. If you're the Suns, do you uh, make a big play for a Christian Wood this offseason, giving him all your cap space on a contract that goes as long as possible? Yeah, well, you hit the nail on the head there. Can he play alongside DeAndre Aiden, right? right? They can play next to each other. Sure. You know, now I'm going to tell you guys, I am maybe one of the biggest Christian Wood fans out there. So uh, not, not going to be super biased, you know, unbiased about this one. Um, you know, he's really won me over. Um, I, I worry a little bit about your defense, you know, up front, but I think DeAndre Ayton has shown so much improvement on that end of the floor over the last, let's call it year and a half. I think he was really starting to figure some stuff out by the end of his rookie year. And then I think this year, working around the suspension clearly um you know i think he was really playing well and i think by the time they got to the bubble i think he was a plus defender i I think he had really kind of learned and i think he just had that far to go right as a defender i don't think he had any clue how to play nba level defense and now you're seeing he's he's learned now he's adding that to his you know terrific physical assets that he brings as a defender and he's really learning how to play so i think you can get away with it you can be pretty good. What really excites me is that is a huge inside-outside combo where both guys can step out, both guys can play inside. Um, you know, I mean, Devin Booker is clearly awesome. You know, I mean, there, there's no question about that. So you're you're building an offense that all of a sudden makes up for probably more than makes up for anything. You maybe lose a little bit defensively. What I would say is, I would give almost all of my cap space to Christian Wood. And then I would save some cap space or try to line up how to use my room exception to get a truly defensive minded third big in there. Ideally a four or five who could really, that kind of forms your three man um, rotation there. And that, that allows you to, to be a little, um, you know, a little, okay. if, if those days well, where you go. So basically so there, replace the Aaron Baines. Sorry, Greg, go. Yeah, kind of. Well, Keith, I there was a rumor this week that that came up that the market for Christian Wood looks to be the mid level exception, but uh, I that that surprised me. Are you hearing that, or are you hearing that a team like the Suns may go all in with with their cap space uh, on a guy like Wood? Yeah. So here's what's kind of driving that is the mid level exception is what the vast majority of the teams that's all they can offer. So if you go and have right. a conversation with the um, the uh, geez, I'm, I'm drawing about the Portland Trailblazers. You know, hey, do you guys like Christian yeah. Wood? Well, we like him for the mid-level exception because that's all they yeah, can really that's all they offer, <laughs> right? They, they can't offer him anything else. I can tell you, if it's mid-level exception, the Detroit Pistons will beat that. They, they'll beat that. In that's what I would think. That's what I was thinking. Exactly. Yeah, now, is Detroit's not going to let him go? If you're the Suns, big, big. though, yeah. if you come in at you know, you give him 18 million, which is essentially all of your cap space, and you say we're going all in on that. I think that's right around the point where this the Pistons have to say, 
Oh uh, boy. You know, do we really want to match on this when we've, we have, we're still working around Blake Griffin's contract for the next couple of years. It's a lot of money to spend on a big and for a team that's bad and those kind of things. So I think that becomes a, the, the um, tricky spot, right? That that's where you're kind of trying to, I, I think, figure, figure things out a little bit. Um, of, that's where know, I how, think the Suns are, can be good poachers. You've got these, yep. you've got a couple of free agents out there and yep. Jeremy Grant's another one. Yep. Who really would it should expect in a normal offseason more than the mid level? Right. Um, Fred and and Christian Wood and Jeremy Grant and and guys like that that are expecting more than the mid level, but no team has more than the mid level. Correct. Or if they do, they suck. And the only <laughs> two exceptions are Miami and yep. Phoenix. Yep. And Phoenix, I mean, historically sucks. Let's not let's not put too much <laughs> lipstick on this pig. Phoenix historically sucks and could come out next year, according to Amin Al Hassan, um, as his wild guess that uh, the Suns are going to suck and Devin Booker's going to ask for a trade. But yeah, that's also that's Amin's bias gotten, there. I mean, yeah, it's a little <laughs> bit of bias there because Amin came out of that Suns organization uh, with his butt on fire. Um, but but that's. Let's just say that the Suns are respectable and seen as respectable. They're one of the only two teams that could do something this offseason with good money. So I think they're a good destination. So Grant will only – Steve Holler, uh, I'm going to go into the chat just a little bit. We've been um, neglecting the chat a bit, but I've been watching it. Uh, Steve Holler, Grant will get more, but you know what? You want to know Grant will get more than the mid-level, but who's going to give it to him? You think he's going to go to Charlotte to get more? Um, I think uh, he's – he might just go back to if he goes if he gets more it's going to be staying at Denver. Yeah, he's not going to take more from Charlotte to go there. I don't think he's always been on playoff level teams, and I think he'll stay on playoff level teams. And it's got to be whether he thinks the Suns are better than Charlotte and closer to the playoffs, um, or he might just stay with Denver. Um, you've got another question here. What's the status on offer sheets for Javon and Dario? There was a rumor going around Twitter. Um, that sudden that qualifying offers had to be made by this weekend, and that's not true. Um, and it's only not true because they moved the draft out and they moved free agency out. Free agency hasn't even been set yet. Um, and the draft and free agency starts on the first day of the new league year. And um, options like uh, contract offers, sorry, qualifying offers only have to be made by the day before the new league year. So all that is off the table for the moment. But Keith, tell us what dates you're hearing for all these off-season dates. Yeah, so you 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 said it. The only thing we know is the NBA draft is November 18th. After that, everything is up for negotiation. What I was told was they really wanted to wrap up the bubble, get everybody out of there, take a day or two to breathe, and then they were going to get right back at it. It sounds like they've nailed a lot of the, the kind of framework of things um, down. So what it's sounding like they're honing in on is they're going to stay away from the um, – the Thanksgiving week, right? Which makes sense. That's not a, that's not a week to be doing big stuff and kind of the NFL owns that period yeah. at that uh, point of the year. So what they're going to do is I think they're going to come out of that weekend right around December 1st. It might be maybe November 30th or something like that, but December 1st, um, kind of put that as your ballpark when free agency will start. And that means everything will start, you know, in advance of that. And I think they like the, uh, the NBA folks like the idea of, all right, we got clear Thanksgiving and we're coming right back with you into 
this is when we traditionally start thinking about basketball anyway is right after Thanksgiving and stuff. And, and yeah. we're, we're here for you. Then what you're going to see is you're absolutely right. They're going to make all the option decisions and line them up to, you know, week before whatever they were supposed to be um, way back when. And then um, with that, so they'll line all those up qualifying offers and all those kind of things. And then that's when you'll see that. And then that'll take you into free agency goes. That'll run. Um, and it sounds like training camps are going to open probably right around, well, right after Christmas. Um, it's probably going to be abbreviated training camps and an abbreviated preseason. What I'm hearing is teams, a lot of teams, they don't want to play any preseason games. They hate them. They'd prefer just let us scrimmage and let us do our thing. Um, but if you're going to do preseason games, it'll be like little regional preseason games where you play kind of the closest team or kind of like those scrimmages in the bubble. Exactly. So it's similar to those. Yep. Um, and then you'll do that. And then the season looks like there's kind of two options that seem to be on the table. And this is going to be what they're going to, the NBA on their side is going to fight this out amongst the owners. Um, and then the MBPA is going to fight it out amongst what they want. There's a group that wants to start right around MLK Day. And there is a strong belief that that would be a really symbolic and special day to start the next season, um, which I, you know, personal, personal opinion here. I think that would be really cool. Um, I, I think that would be awesome. Um, there's a, there's a group that are pushing. If we start it that day, start it with all 30 teams play and, you know, everybody plays that day. There's also a group that says, you know what, do the early that eight to 8 PM East coast window game. Uh, Memphis versus Atlanta, two very special cities in in uh, Martin Luther King um, in Jr. in his life there, and then um, go into the um, night game, you know, Clippers, Lakers, something like that. Lakers celebrate their championship, and off you go. Everybody else tips off the next night, and we're off and running. The other group is really pushing and saying, let's push this. Let's wait till late February. Mm. Let's wait till March. Give the players a you know, good, full, real off season um, so that we're not kind of just taking a couple months of downtime and bringing everybody back. And then let's see, you know, where we're at as far as being able to have fans in the seats. So that is the the, the question that's out there. I think what you're going to see is they're going to want that TV money flowing in early. And from most conversations, sounds like that MLK start is probably what we're going to see. And then as the season goes, we will gradually ramp up to such a tough decision, though, man, because you've got I mean, uh, what is it about the TV? Am I anywhere close to being right on that? The TV money is around 60 percent and then uh, gate receipts are around 40. Am I anywhere close on those? Yeah, it's ish in that range. You know, you take away a little from each side because, you know, there's merchandise revenue. There's all that, that kind of stuff that factors. But it's a little bit more TV money than gate receipts. Yeah, the TV money is big because the TV money counts that national TV money plus all the local TV deals. So then you need both of those to get the full salary cap. That's it. So that's that's the problem. that's, that's the challenge. So, so that's what, what it seems to be is we're going to see them kind of ramp. I think you will see them open the season initially. I think because Adam Silver is who he is, he wants as level a playing field as possible. And he's they've done everything they can with health and safety in mind. I think what you're going to see them do is say um, no fans initially until everybody is at a point where everyone can have 
20% of the building full or whatever it is, right? Because Yeah, he's not going to want some stadiums with 20% yeah. and other stadiums exactly. with zero. Well, and look at it, right? I'm in Orlando. Our governor here in Florida is like, fill those stadiums, fill those arenas. Nobody wants the Miami Heat. Didn't in Florida right just cancel their next game? <laughs> yeah, the University of Florida did. Yeah, their game today against LSU because they had a huge outbreak uh, on the team right after Shocker. their coach coach uh, pushed for you know wanting ninety five thousand people, um, you know, <laughs> in yeah. their stadium. But but it's um it is so they're not going to allow that. You know, the NBA is not going to allow that. They're not going to say, yeah. well, the Florida teams can have full arenas, and you know, a team in Massachusetts yeah. or California can have nobody. They're not going to want it equal. Yeah. Yep. The other piece that they have to really counter in and figure out with all of this is um, it seems like a weird thing because it affects one team, but what in the world do they do with the Toronto Raptors? If, if Canada continues to stay, we're closed. You aren't coming in. What do they do? Do the Raptors relocate to, you know, Syracuse for, you know, wow. the season or something like that? Or you know, do they go somewhere and play, play it out? Yeah, well, so those, what, are, right. those are going to be all the conversations that are going to be happening here over the next little bit. I think from what I've been told, figure out free agency first. We're going to get that hammered out. We're going to set the cap at a number. So you're thinking they're going to go December on free agency, even if they don't have a start date yet. Yes, I think so, because I think what they want to be very conscious of is they don't want to lose um, the public interest. And let's face it, right? We all love the NBA. A lot of people love the NBA most in the offseason. You know, yeah. that's the, the reality yeah. of it. So so that's a huge chunk. And I think they see it as as weird as it sounds. The NBA playoffs can't take eyes away from NBA, NFL regular season games. But right. NBA free agency for a day or two, that'll take eyes away from the NFL. You know, because that's how big NBA free agency is, even in a weird kind of down year. The, the thing to me that the March, February, March date, at some point they're going to have to have a truncated – off season to to get back to some normal schedule and it just yeah. feels like do it right now just just take yeah. take the hit now uh, those that december period that from the first till when training camp opens with free agency will be one of the craziest in nba history the buzz will be unbelievable yeah. with that then you can ride that momentum into into a mid january start and then maybe you can get back to some kind of normal schedule going into uh, into the next offseason. Obviously, it'll be pushed back a bit because you're starting a handful of months late. But if you if you start February or March, we're talking uh, this whole mess again. You're going to you're going to be playing into September again, and then you're going to have to make the decision again. Yeah, let me talk about two two things with, with that here that I don't think get talked about a lot is one is you have eight teams that they haven't played a game since March 10th or 11th. Right, they absolutely do not want to go a full year without playing. Right. You know, so they are really pushing hard to say, "You got to get us back." You know, we we cannot. This is crazy. We got to get back there. So, so that's the part one. Part two, which which rarely gets talked about, is twenty two of the thirty NBA teams share a regional sports network with the Major League Baseball team in the area. In a normal year. They overlap for about two weeks in April. There are a ton of day baseball games early in the baseball season. There's a ton of off days early in the baseball season. So that overlap very easily worked around. They figure that out. But if you're talking overlapping months, you know, now you're talking mm -hmm. overlapping April, May, part of June. Now that's two, two and a half, maybe even three months. 
something's got to give there because neither side is going to be cool with that for any kind of long-term thing because there are language in both the NBA and MLB contracts with those regional sports networks. So you can only push us off to the alternate channel X amount of times per season. You can only decline to air a game entirely X amount of times per season. Um, those regional sports networks, a lot of times it's the same crew that works mm-hmm. those games, you know, so that, so that becomes a huge um, challenge to work around if it's long-term. That was one of the major sticking points with the whole proposal of let's move the NBA calendar permanently. Beyond that, you have um, questions where the, um, the, players they they don't want that they don't want to play in the summers you know they like their summers off they also know the summers are when the international competitions are like the olympics the world cup the euro basket those kind of things and they know how Mm -hmm. important those are for them for their countries and for their brands well you know for sure the olympics is gonna happen yeah right they already pushed it a year they're not gonna push it further they're gonna bubble themselves up if they have to they're gonna do it in 21 it's going to happen. Uh, do we have a date on that? Probably July, August. Yeah, I, heard the NBA, yeah, I think it's a, it's roughly shifted one full year. So, you know, late July or whatever it was. Yeah. And so in the NBA, the NBA has a lot of players who uh, will want to play for their home country uh, yeah. in those Olympics. And so they're going to want to wrap up that regular season at least – not uh, gosh, in the playoffs and everything. I don't know if that's even possible. Is yeah, that not, possible with the January start. I, it would be really tight. They would have to put a lot of back to backs back in there, a lot of three and fours, probably some four and fives, and those kind of things. Which I think that's probably coming to some extent anyway. What I'll say about the Olympics is most NBA owners, front offices, they would prefer that NBA players were out of the Olympics altogether. They don't want sure them they prefer to it. Yeah. yeah. Now, exactly. Now they're going to get a, you know heavy pushback. But more importantly than that, the NBA realized a couple of things. People just don't watch TV in the summer the way they usually do. Even in the midst of a pandemic, TV ratings are down for everything in the summertime. You know, it's it's the old. There's a reason NBC doesn't air new episodes of their you know best shows right. in July <laughs> in and August. summer. Right. They're doing other right. stuff, and that's even you know now when we're all you know. Presumably Even in a pandemic, right, yeah. Now, the other thing is the NBA knows there's no way they can beat the Olympics. So if you're right. watching anything in the summertime, you know, next summer, you're right. watching the Olympics. So I think they're going to do everything they can to avoid, which is why I think that mid-January start with a strong, strong push to get everything wrapped up just prior to the Olympics is where we see it. And that gets them close enough with another abridged offseason back to the normal calendar as possible with the start of the 2020, 2021. Is there any sentiment to start, um, to change the entire future schedule of the NBA to start in December instead of October? There is some. There are some owners who believe that's the best thing to do to avoid the bulk of the NFL season. But again, that's where that regional sports network, um, you know, part comes uh, in. With, with baseball. Solve that. And then they've also got to solve getting the players on board because the players really don't like that idea. Keith, I need your help. All right. Sure. Uh, this is part of why, <laughs> why, why I was so excited to hear that, uh, that Dave got you on this week because there is a, uh, well, I'm going to put it I'm going to put it this way. I'm just going to be blunt. There is a faction of Suns Twitter that seems to have fallen on its head very hard and thinks that <laughs> 
that Chris Paul somehow fits into the equation in Phoenix. And I was looking at your sheet, and I can't figure out the math in any way without doing something uh, disastrous to this roster to fit uh, shoehorn in $41 million, I believe, roughly, is what Chris Paul is going to make next year. And then I think it's roughly forty-five the following season. Can you help me explain to uh, certain people on Suns Twitter <laughs> why this makes absolutely no sense? Let me let me check a number real quick. So I'm talking from an educated place here. <laughs> yeah, so forty-one point three million for Chris Paul. So even if you took the Suns eighteen million in cap space, you still got to get to you know another big deal that you're sending out. Now, could you send out Ricky Rubio plus? Ty Jerome plus Cam Johnson in the cap space, and now you bring in Chris Paul. Yeah, probably. You'd probably have to add in the tenth pick. I mean, Sam Presti, we saw. I mean, look at what he did to the Clippers and the uh, the um, Rockets. You know, I mean, he basically owns their drafts for forevermore um, at this point. You know, you, you don't, you, you never want another team to have to have too much control of your draft. So, so could they get there? Yes. Now. Will they get there? Would they do it? I don't think so because you're not – let's start with the premise of you're not trading Devin Booker or DeAndre Ayton, right? That would just be insane. That What's the point? Then? What, what, yeah. what, are, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. um, then the rest becomes now you're starting to really sap your depth and you're really starting to, on its face, Rubio, um, Rubio, Cam Johnson – Ty Jerome, a pick, fine, right? But now you've got to replace a couple rotation spots there, and you got to go figure that out. Now, maybe if you've got Chris Paul, you look at it and say, all right, well, we can go sign, you know, uh, veteran X to the veteran minimum or whatever the case is. The other thing is you're locking into being over the cap for the next couple years. You know, and I think that becomes, you know, that's another challenge because now you completely took yourself out of any flexibility you had to get in the running for a big time free agent in the the off season of 2021, because you're just you're you're out of it with Chris Paul. If they could make it work in a reasonable manner, I would be all for it. I think he would be phenomenal next to Devin Booker. I think um, him running the show. I think you'd see DeAndre Ayton's game open up even more. I just don't know that that reasonable um, you know trade package makes sense for both sides. Yeah. I don't the Suns should offer what it would take to get him, and I don't think the Thunder would take anything less. So in our chat, we're getting a bunch of uh, comments about Oladipo. Uh, would you trade Ricky Rubio for Oladipo, beat Oladipo for the Suns? That would basically put Devin Booker at more point guard than not because uh, Oladipo is really more of a, a lesser – I mean, he's kind of a lesser Devin Booker um, as far as combo guard and, and can't, can't handle the ball all the time. If Assuming health. Let's assume health for Oladipo. I think he's got one year left and on his contract. Would you do that and, and pop Rubio for Oladipo and, and uh, you know, throw in other – the Suns have to send over a couple of other young players too, I think. Yeah, I would not. Um, I don't think that makes a ton of sense um, for a couple reasons. One, I prefer Devin Booker as a um, as a scorer and secondary playmaker. I don't want anything to take away from his scoring for him to have to focus on the playmaking side of things. I, I, I worry that that would be what would happen there. I also worry, what if Oladipo comes in 
plays the one year and leaves. Now you you lost them for absolutely nothing, and that's where you know I worry a little bit. I also worry. I don't know that Victor Oladipo is he going to get back to what he was. Um, at one point, I see someone said he did play point guard at a time early in his career. So I live in Orlando. I've covered every game he played with the Orlando Magic. That was a you would disaster. know. Um, yeah. and it was it was a disaster by design. Um, they they the Magic were going nowhere, and it was let's get him this experience. It kind of similar to what the Suns did, right? When they said hey, we're going to put the ball in Devin Booker's hands a ton, it's probably going to be pretty messy. Um, a lot, but he's going to learn. He's going to grow. We're going to figure this thing out. Um, I think they 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 envisioned it almost as maybe he can become Harden esque with his you know playmaking mm-hmm. and scoring ability. Um, and, and now it's paid off in spades, right? I think we especially saw it really come to light in the bubble. You know, I think his playmaking was better than I've ever seen it over a stretch. Of Definitely Booker. Yeah. Booker actually was one of the league leaders in assist making passes. Yep. Like uh, uh, and his his and the fewest uh, pass total passes per assist kind of thing. So Booker is definitely a high value passer, but he's not the, um, I mean, he's great as a secondary ball handler. I, I'm right. not a big fan of him being the primary and I'm not a big fan of Victor being a primary either. But look, I, I think the way if, if you go, if you were to, Go get Oladipo. The only way it would make sense is to do it in a swap for Kelly Oubre with the expectation that you say to Victor Oladipo, you're going to be the sixth man. You're going to be high-volume scorer off that bench. And then you're trading a a one-year deal for a one-year deal, so you remove any of that uh, that potential you're left holding the bag because you've traded uh, assets that you would have had for longer because I still am of the belief Kelly Rubre's number becomes too big for this team uh, in, in 2021 in, in the offseason, uh, and you're going to likely have to move on to him. That's the only way Oladipo makes any sense to me uh, from, uh, and, from and, a Thunk and standpoint. One, and one final comment. If you if you get rid of Rubio for Oladipo and, you're, and your playmakers are Booker and Oladipo, um, Tyler's made a comment. You get better at scoring, but they're uh, they get better at scoring. But and then somebody else said, but worse at passing. You don't get better at scoring if your playmaking suffers. You you just have different. You just have more isolation scoring, and uh, you just don't get better if your passing suffers. Um, so if I I'm, can just, with, I'm not a big fan. If I can with one other thing too, not that Ricky Rubio is an all defense level defender, but he's more than passable as a point guard defender who defends point guards. Oladipo doesn't do that anymore. Um, he just he, he that's not who he has been. Um, we certainly don't want Booker doing that because now you're talking. Look at the load you're putting on him. Go defend yeah. and chase point guards around. Plus, do all the playmaking. Plus, you know, carry the scoring load. Um, and the guy I worry about if you put two. Um, uh, Usage heavy backcourt players who need the ball a lot. What happens to DeAndre Ayton? I don't want possessions where he's just kind of standing around waiting for nothing. That that's not. You know, and I know people will say put him in, put him in there as a screener and those kind of things. Well, you're going to do that anyway. But you don't ever want to. You know, the worst thing you can do to a young big is screen, 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 and never see the ball. It's then all of a sudden yeah. the screens don't become as good. The defense isn't as gauge is engaged and those kind of things. And that, that starts to become a worry. So, so I don't know that the Oladipo trade is one that makes sense. And I can tell you, that's why I know you said it. I think for the Suns, he would make sense as a six man. He would not go for that. Not yeah. in the last year. Go ahead. Espo, go ahead. He, he's going to want to, you know, play his, 
his role and show I can start and I deserve another 20 plus million contract. All right. One last question for you, Keith, and then we'll let you get on with your Saturday because you've been more than generous (laughs) with your time. But uh, I, I am intrigued by the Brandon Ingram situation in new Orleans. Do you foresee any, any way that he winds up leaving the Pelicans in some kind of sign and trade or something like that? And, and do you see the Suns as a potential fit if that is something you're hearing may happen? Um, the fit side, yeah, he'd be an awesome fit in Phoenix as a you know three four. Um, you know, can play even a little bit at the two. I think he'd be fantastic. Um, New Orleans is not letting him go. They're building that whole thing around him and Zion. Um, I expect as do you know ninety nine percent of the people around the league. That'll be one of the first deals we'll hear has been agreed to. Is a full you know it'll either be a four year um four year with a player option or a full five year deal for Brandon Ingram um, from the New Orleans Pelicans. They are not going to mess around with, you know, go out there and get an offer sheet and then we're going to match it because, you know, they know the Hawks will throw one at him. The Knicks would probably throw one at him and those kind of things. So they're not going to mess around with that. They're not going to be even stupid enough to do that. Sign and trade. The only way that would come would be if it got real, real silly and a team was like, we'll give you three first round picks or something like that. Well, then David Griffin's probably going to say, yeah, you know, let's go um, with that. But yeah, I don't, I I don't think so. I I think, you know, unfortunately he's probably the second best free agent on the market behind Anthony Davis. And I don't think there's any belief either one of them's going anywhere. Well, Keith, thank you so much for your time. He is Keith Smith. You can find him on Twitter at Keith Smith MBA. You can find his cap sheet there as well. I highly recommend the follow and checking out the sheet. Keith, enjoy the rest of your Saturday, and thanks so much for uh, spending some time here with us on the yep. Solar Panel. Thank yeah, you, I appreciate Keith. it, guys. Appreciate I, I'll stay longer if you need. All you're keeping me from doing is yard work, so <laughs> yeah, I, I keep putting it off. I should probably get out there, but thank yard you guys work. so much. Ooh. I appreciate it. Best of luck with the yard work. He is Keith Smith. A pleasure to have him as part of the show today. Glad to have him with us. Uh, And and just invaluable insight into what the cap's going to look like and what this offseason might look like. Dave, I'm I'm intrigued still to see what in the world uh, the Suns are going to do this off season. I don't know. I mean, I expressed this last episode. I'm not as, as I'm more hesitant on Christian Wood than Keith was. Keith uh, seems to think he's he's Amari with a three. I worry he's Hakeem Warwick with a three, uh, which is which is scary in and of itself just to think of that. Uh, but that's that's the name that that everybody keeps gravitating back towards, except for the weird Chris Paul thing, which we debunked already. But uh, so I, I just I, I feel like that's the name we're going to keep uh, keep looking at until we get to that December first date, if that's when free agency starts. Yeah, so it sounds like <clears throat> we're going to have December first, no matter what. So I, I'm looking forward to that. Um, and. And, but it's going to be kind of a quiet offseason. There, there is going to be trades. There are teams that will turn over their rosters a lot. Um, you're going to get that kind of thing. But uh, there won't be a lot of big free agent signings because there isn't any money. A uh, question we got early in the chat, and I'm sorry I forget who asked it, but who's going to be this year's Timofey Mozgov? There isn't any. because it, That'll be next offseason. 
when half the league has 20 million or more in space, um, assuming that the salary cap uh, stays the same or goes up slightly. Um, so I don't think that um, anyone's going to be the Timofey Mozgov unless it's a restricted free agent re-signing. Like, uh, for example, if Jeremy Grant gets the Nuggets to offer him 15 a year and then he turns out he's still just a nine points, uh, two rebound a game guy in the future. I mean, is that your Timothy Moskov? I don't know, but, uh, definitely, uh, I don't think any, any new teams are going to be offering big money to bad players. The only really good players who are going to get more than the mid level this off season are going to be Christian Wood and, um, Fred Van Bleet and Jeremy Grant types. So I'd be surprised if any big names get big. Although, you know what? Charlotte has to spend their money. Atlanta has to spend their money. So I don't know who the heck they're going to give all that money to. It could, Maybe they will. It could be a Paul Millsap. I mean, you could see a guy that well, is a one year. And But but the Mozgov thing was the four year. Who's going to get the very first con? I think the question for Mozgov was, who's going to get the very first contract on free agency night that is just like, oh, my God, I can't believe that just went Charlotte's, for four years. Charlotte's going to do that with a veteran for a long-term deal. It's going. They're going to do something long-term, stupid. Long-term, though, is the question. Because, because desperation, yeah. they're looking at it the same way we were talking about the Suns. They understand they're not if they keep the cap space for next year, they're not going to be attractive. They move to the back of the line. This year they may be able to convince somebody because they have the money. I just whatever the Suns do, just don't do something that is so egregiously stupid that it handcuffs you uh for the future. Like my biggest fear is you sign Christian Wood. He turns out to be a, a good stat bad team guy because he hasn't proven it long term. This is a a very short period uh, in in Detroit and then you you yeah. commit all this money and all of a sudden you're like, oh, this guy wasn't that good. And that's that's the terrifying thing because yes, they went eight and oh in the bubble. We get it. The Suns had a good run in the bubble, but the reality is they were still a 35 to 41 team best in the end. And and in a Western conference that's getting the Warriors back next year uh, that's, that's not good enough. And if you make, if, if you make a mistake this off season, it could kill all momentum that you built, built in Orlando. So this, you, you hear a lot of this and it's usually hyperbole and and it's usually overblown, but this might be the most important sun's off season in a very long time because these moves are going to going to determine right if you can take that next step look if you go with james jones's history so far which is a short short history and i get it and the suns are in a little bit different spot this off season than they were a year ago james jones has has valued cap flexibility given short contracts relatively short contracts rubio's is only um more than two-year investment so far he got aaron baines on one year basically he got dario on one year basically um so i wouldn't be surprised if they do the one-year thing and obviously um uh james was around although he was a complete rookie on front office things when ariza signed the one year so I don't know. I'm I'm not a huge fan of giving a bunch of money to a really old vet. Paul Millsap, most of the time in the playoffs and the bubble, looked like he was 40 years old, not not 32 or whatever age he is. And I, I don't necessarily want a guy who um, I can run faster than. Now, of course, now there's uh, Paul is obviously still a good NBA player, but is he worth big money one year when the Suns really need productivity 
and they need depth. Um, so I'm not a big fan of giving a bunch of money to someone like a Paul Millsap, but I wouldn't be surprised if the Suns did that. I can see what you're saying on the Christian Wood being, you know, you're rolling the dice. What if in two years, Christian Wood is your still your fourth best player at best? Because then you've got to give uh, extensions to DeAndre Ayton and Mikel Bridges. And then you've got a year a year to give one to Cam Johnson um, and, and, and someone like that. Do you really want to be on the hook for Christian Wood at $20 million a year at that point when he might not even be your, your third, fourth, you know, best player? Yeah, that's that's just my fear. And it's probably just because of years of not good basketball that you we were so close as Suns fans to uh to being Andy Dufresne and climb and climbing yeah. through that uh that 200 yards of uh of raw sewage to get to the sunlight and I just don't want to see when we get to that oh it's right. just a crack in the pipe there's still there's still more to to climb through <laughs> it's kind of the uh it's kind of where I am with it hey Dave before we get out of here I think we got to do something it's time for Espo's Big Board. Espo's uh, Big Board! Espo, we need some kind of like awful theme song. The theme this week of Espo's Big Board is the top five pop, pop culture references involving the Phoenix Suns. All right? It's random, but that's what this whole thing is. So Top five no, pop culture references. All right. Number go. five. You remember this guy? Jonah Hill wearing <laughs> the old school Suns jersey. And then I lost a bet and I had to dress like that on one of the episodes. Uh, yeah. Did you I'm not show bringing that? that? I'm not bringing, no, bringing that, that photo up. No, but somebody <laughs> can look it up if they want. If you'd have given and then me the, a heads up, I'd have found it. And then the Flaming Ballers had fun with it and and Photoshopped uh, Jonah's tattoos on me. So, uh, so if you go find that, you'll have fun with it. But that's number five. Jonah Hill wearing a throwback Suns jersey. You're going to get the theme. There aren't a lot of uh, – there hasn't been – the Suns haven't been overly popular in pop culture over the years. Uh, next hey, one. you know what's kind of exciting? Sorry, before you go on, what's kind of exciting is Kelly Oubre posted a picture on Instagram, and he's wearing some shorts that have a sunburst almost as big as that Jonah Hill sunburst on that on that throwback jersey that would those would be hot shorts and if that's really a sign to come that's awesome they could not it might not be a sign to come but i would love to see a huge oversized sunburst uh jersey version breaking news dave staring at kelly Oubre's shorts number four on the on the espo's big board These guys are it, awesome it, we go back <laughs> to the early 90s and the rock and jock mtv wow. days john stewart yep that john stewart from the daily show was the color commentator the play-by-play guy the one and only steve albert who was a former son's uh, uh play-by-play <laughs> right. man on tv and if you look closely <laughs> those are the son's dancers from the early 90s behind uh behind john stewart there tell? one of which actually phil nicholson's future wife so some fun there uh we're which gonna one? go to uh i believe it's the blonde in the back uh, right behind john stewart's head there. oh so, nice don't hold me to it, but uh, fun fact. So then we move to number three, and it's is your game MVP like Steve Nash? Nelly Furtado dropping the nice. uh, Steve Nash reference in a song. And then, uh, you know, if you're going to go the Steve Nash reference in music, then you got to move to shots that I took wet like I'm book. It's Drake, go. the big Devin Booker fan as a pop culture reference and the final on Espo's big board pop culture appearances by the Phoenix Suns over the years. 
it's forget Paris when the Phoenix Suns actually <laughs> showed up. The, we're talking Paul Westfall, Dan Marley here, Charles Barkley, and then Billy Crystal playing an NBA ref. Uh, if you haven't seen that movie, probably don't waste the two ninety nine. It would cost to rent it just for uh, the thirty it, second it, uh, <laughs> Suns input. Yeah, there. But but Barkley and and Billy Crystal going back and forth, and and the great Paul Westfall in there. Those are my top five pop culture moments. That I still uh, that remember. One of my favorite Barkley stories is. Uh, he, um, when he was at the height of his game and, and, uh, one of the refs is the old guy. He, he raced later in his career after he had retired. Uh, who was the, uh, shoot, I forget the guy's name now all of a sudden, but anyway, um, Barkley in real life had, had gone up to that ref to try to argue a call or it looked like he was arguing a call to get himself tossed because he was having a bad game or something was going on, but he was literally yelling, how was your summer? How are you doing? And how's the wife? But he wanted everyone to think he was yelling yeah, and he yeah. wanted the ref to throw him out. And it was just, it was just great because he, he, he was real good friends with that guy. So, so flaming, flaming ballers, uh, weighing in here, coach. Fallen founder says, surprised we didn't get the Suns in Space Jam reference. That's because Space Jam is flaming hot trash. And that is my <laughs> uh, my controversial take That's of the day. Take. That movie sucks. And it would never make it on any Espo big board unless it was the top five movies the Suns were in that suck. And it would be that and the movie Eddie that would make the list. So uh, so enjoy that impromptu Espo big board. Uh, Dave, before That's we cool. get out of here, any uh, any last things you want to discuss? Any uh, continuing thoughts off of, of what Keith said before we let everybody go? I thought it was great having Keith on and giving us a lot of the, the league-wide insights and, and what he's hearing. Um, he's got, you know, he's got connections all over the league. He's, he's, he's spent a lot of time in this business. And so it was nice hearing from him, uh, the kind of thought process of what's going into the off season. But my big takeaways are your veterans are going to take one year deals so they can get slightly more money for a year and then see what happens next year off season. Um, another takeaway is that the Suns are about the only team who might be willing to spend this off season. We just don't know if the Suns will, and we don't know if the players will want to come here. Um, but I think I have a strong feeling that if the Suns want a Christian Wood or a Fred Van Vliet or a Jeremy Grant, the Suns can have them because I don't think Miami's going to play the market. Yeah, I think, well, I think you're 100% right. I think Miami's running it back as uh, as much as they can uh, after, after what they saw and maybe add some pieces on the fringes. My biggest thing is, uh, and listening to Keith, this kept coming, coming to mind, if – this offseason comes down to how much do you truly trust James Jones? Do you trust his vision for the long term? Do you believe he's shrewd enough to find the value? Because the value gonna, will be yeah. there this offseason. And if if uh, you know if you believe in him, this is an exciting offseason. If you still have questions, it may be a terrifying off season uh, in the fact that it, these moves likely will have ramifications. Yeah. You know, um, this is my, my looking forward into what's going to happen in December is um, the influence Robert Sarver is going to have on the front office and whether James Jones can hold him at bay. Cause once the sun, uh, every time the Suns have had a fairly uh, positive end to a season, they've, they've gone batshit crazy in off in the off season and done dumb stuff. So I, 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 I wonder if Robert Sarver is going to make the Suns do that again. 
if you're James Jones, <clears throat> you're going to keep bringing in the playoff veterans and um, go for the short deals and grow the core. If you're trying to jump into a 50 win range and you want to do it in a stupid way, you spend big money on veterans, that bigger money than you should on veterans who aren't going to be here for the long term. You're uh, it, a smart offseason in my mind would be if you really believe in Jeremy Grant or Christian Wood, give him the money. If you really believe in it, Fred Van Vliet, give him the money if you really believe in it. Mm-hmm. But if you don't, don't throw these guys, you know, don't don't sign these guys if you don't arrange the rest of your roster around them properly and then screw up the whole offseason. That would be a disaster. Um, and I think we can say goodbye to Dario, and I think we can say goodbye to Aaron Baines unless the market is really dry and they come back after the Suns have done their free agency and then they come back on minimum deals. That, that kind of thing could happen. But um, I just don't do really. Don't make us all scratch our heads and say, what? Now, last <laughs> summer, we kind of did with the Rubio signs. Some people did. I liked it initially. I really did because the Suns needed passing and playmaking, and they got it with Rubio. I realize Rubio is a is a ceiling setter, um, but I think the Suns need that ceiling setter for um, for one more year at least before they go off and, and well, try to with- screw with everything. Without Rubio, they don't make the jumps that they made last year. So I don't right. th- that one never was a, a head scratcher to me. What I think we're gonna see is a trade we don't expect. That's my big prediction. Is is this team makes a trade for somebody that, right. that we went, huh? Hey, I someone mentioned earlier should the Suns trade 10 for Luke Kennard. Um, I didn't ask Keith that because I, I wasn't hundred percent sure how big he is on the trade market, he's more on the free agents and stuff like that. And league-wide, I'm not sure. He might have given us good insight on Luke Kennard. I would definitely trade the 10 for Luke Kennard if he's healthy. But you yeah. don't know if he's healthi because he had the tendonitis that kept him out of most of the season last year. So um, that would be a real risky oh. trade for me. He certainly has had plenty of rest. I mean, so yeah. De- Detroit well, hasn't you know been what? doing anything to Rest didn't help Frank Kaminsky coming off injury, so I, I wouldn't <laughs> count on that working for Luke Kennard. Yeah, so I think uh, I think we well. The unfortunate part is, based on what Keith told us, we've got a very long time to continue to speculate what the heck's going to happen because December first is still a long time away. So we're going to have to get creative. Well, we got the, in the draft coming and stuff, so we're going to try to yeah. get a draft guy on in the next couple of weeks. Um, uh, we'll get it. We'll get somebody who really is is heavy in the draft um, as we get closer to that, uh, giving us their predictions on what the Suns are going to do there. My expectation is the Suns will come out with at least one draft pick. I just don't know what what pick, and it'll be after a trade that brings in a veteran. And I'm only basing that on because of last year, Suns came out of draft day with two new veterans plus two new draft picks. We'll end our our eternal search for Tim's replacement will continue uh, next week. Uh, We'll bring in another guest host. Uh, Keith didn't count this week. This was just an interview. We wanted to make sure uh, we got out there because there were a lot of questions in terms of the cap, but we will continue are uh, wandering through the podcast desert to try to find uh, Tim's replacement. Eventually we will. Maybe we won't. Maybe it'll just be Dave and I ranting for an hour and 15 minutes. You guys don't want that. Weekend. No, yeah. we don't. So, <laughs> oh, I, I, we got a, we got a question or somebody wants to see the shirt. So I'm going to move the, move the mic here. It is a uh, homage uh, shirt. That's Jason Kidd and Penny Hardaway uh, NBA jam. For those of you uh, 
wondering. So, uh, hey, you know, I've, uh, uh, Vincent mentioned bringing Amin. Um, I've we've had Amin on here a few times, and he's actually really good when he's not trying to drop the mic on things, uh, which is ninety nine percent of the time. Extremely insightful when he's not trying to stir everything up and use the signs as its scapegoat. Dave, you are my favorite peacekeeper. You are uh, just just somebody that <laughs> loves to just make sure everybody tries to get along. You are uh, yeah, sorry. Uh, it it, it goes with your growing up in the '60s and being a hippie. So it works out. <laughs> Blaze Megatron says, "Bring back uh, Saul Bookman. He's been in the chat. We'll uh, we'll see what we can do." Uh, people loving the shirt. Yeah, I'm not getting paid for this, but you can go to homage h o m a g e dot com. I don't know if they have this particular one, but they got a lot of NBA Jam stuff. You'll see me wear a handful nice. of them here on the shirt uh, on the show uh i love uh i love wearing the retro stuff a little backcourt 2000 so we're gonna we're gonna get out of here for uh dave king and the flaming ballers are our, our fans who uh join the show every week uh, i'm greg esposito make sure to hit the join button if you're watching this on youtube and become a member or click the link in the description wherever you're listening to podcasts to become a member via the podcast we thank you we appreciate you you're the only reason we get our asses out of bed this early on a saturday when we record i know i can't i love, love having all you guys with, you, with so. us early on a saturday i know some of you are overseas i just absolutely love that we have overseas fans and uh definitely uh having you know uh 60 people at a time this morning on the on the on the list was great um and uh we you know keith i hope i hope keith had a good experience because we certainly had a great one with him you can you can find him at Dave King MBA. I am on uh, on Twitter at Espo. And until next time, oh hoy hoy. <laughs>